Well, it's here. Uh, another year uh, where we have another month of uh, nonstop uh, buble. That's right. Yes, that's the the happiest time of year, as you would say. Yeah. No, I think I think as classic is it's the most wonderful time of year. You know, I learned a I learned a fun fact about a uh, a family member. I, I'll I I won't I won't give names out here, but um, I learned over the break that they've seen Michael Bublé in person three times, and I I couldn't have been more thrilled. Hold on, uh, seen him as in like just run-ins on the street, or seen him in concert? <laughs> like, because seen, it could be other way. Seen him. Th- th- thank you for for forcing me to clarify here. Seen him in concert. Uh, um. How do I delicately answer this or ask this? <laughs> uh, age of the person. Um, you know, not not sure. Ballpark. An adult, let's say that. <laughs> I do not think there's many teenage girls who are triple triple bubleites. Fifties, I believe. Okay, that that's fitting. Like he, he's 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 a crowd pleaser, and again, I, I've I've said that. Actually, did I ever come around to not hating his music as much? I don't know. Oh, no, I think the whole thing that we actually both ended up agreeing on is that his music is good and this holiday album isn't actually bad. It's just that when it's literally everywhere, um, it it grows, it, it, it grates on you after a couple of days. See, I think something that I find helpful is, you know, there's a lot of people who are anxious to kind of jump the gun a bit and start listening to Christmas music, let's say the first or second week of November. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's where you really get yourself in trouble. But I think if you wait until after Thanksgiving, which is what I typically do, then you the odds of you getting super tired of any particular Christmas music for a five week stretch, I think, is relatively low. But if you try to stretch that out into seven or eight weeks, you know. Uh, eh. So let me, let me ask. So do you vault voluntarily sounds like the wrong word and, and i and i apologize to everybody in advance that for the sniffles and for my brain not working so it's gonna be an extra bad episode <laughs> but do you volunteer and again vol, like voluntarily is the wrong word but do you outside of just exposure or like in stores and like everywhere else do you volunteer do you seek out holiday slash christmas music on your own sure but i would say huh. in relatively limited amounts like I'm not I'm not I'm not the type where I'm going to be listening to Christmas music 24/7 for the next few weeks but certainly you know, a couple times a week something like that I'll I'll throw on some Christmas music. Did Sugar Ray ever have a Christmas album oh, or an appearance they... on any, like cuz you know how everybody always does like if you're if you have a Grammy or if you're actually does Sugar Ray have a Grammy? I don't know. Um if you're at, like you cross that threshold you kind of are compelled to do at least one Christmas song. Like even Weezer has one. Like every, everybody's got one. Let's just Sugar Ray Christmas. They no, they they do not have a. They a did cri- a version of Little Saint Nick, apparently. Oh, okay. Yeah, they don't have a a full on Christmas album like Mr. Buble. Unfortunately, I'm sure he probably has more than one. Michael Buble. Buble, I think he has two Christmas albums. I think the one that came out a few years ago was his second. <laughs> the one with him playfully hiding a gift behind his back. Right. Uh, as he ascends a snow uh covered <laughs> staircase. Yes. Pretty good. Mm-hmm. More power to him, dude. Again, it's like you know, like he he's got he's got the market cornered, kinda like Apple. Like if you can charge thirty five dollars for a USB C to lightning cable, like by all means bleed the 
continent dry of of music licensing money. If I if I enter root as the username and leave password blank, does that automatically like download all of his music? Uh, if you are on the same local area network as him, yeah. Uh, okay, got it. Yeah, nice. <sighs> we right. should we should we should come back to that. I'm sure we will. Yeah. All right. Do you actually? Yeah. Do, do you have any uh, follow up or any uh, any other stuff before we get into the stuff? Well, I mean, I think we we have probably the most important piece of follow up we've ever had on this show, which is, of course, our ongoing consternation around the Google implementation of the hamburger emoji. Eh, well, you 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 never encounter it. I mean, you've got an iPhone. You have the iPhone. <laughs> yes, yes. It, it, but it was it was a silly thing, and apparently, you remember, it, it became uh, Sundar Pinchai's uh, top priority. Because uh, that's all that Google is involved in uh, to correct the the cheeseburger place or not the cheeseburger placement the cheese placement on the burger. And apparently, they have. Yeah. So our our long national nightmare is is finally over. Yeah. Actually, I thought that was the 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 pseudonym for Congress. <laughs> Pseudonyms are wrong. Uh, this is gonna be a terrible episode. <laughs> Should we start start over? No, let's just start over a week ago. Okay. Okay. Um you you had mentioned you have some some thoughts or some things about uh Black Friday or apparently as it's now called Cyber Week. Oh jeez. Yeah, the email started coming real early this year. Oh, you got to be fast on the unsubscribe. You just you just scroll to the bottom just uh, and just you got you also got to put slam on the the keyboard a little bit. I Make think sure that now. I think this is probably not the first year where this has happened around this time of year, but it is really a great time of year to unsubscribe from all the lists you've been meaning to get away from for the past year because the number of emails you get from those companies greatly increases this time of year. So you 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 finally get that extra little, you know, piece of motivation to go through the unsubscribe process. And some of them this year have been shameless, or not like just in the sheer volume of emails and like the in the just like the disrespectfulness. It's particularly the ones where it's multiple emails per day. Exactly. That, that, yeah, that mm -mm, that's a quick unsubscribe. Yeah. Um. So I, no, I I didn't really have any specific thoughts. I guess I I for me maybe it just really was because this was a year where I, I wasn't in the market for a bunch of different stuff last year i sort of was hmm. having moved hmm. in well, well we'll come back hmm. to we'll come back to that but last year having just moved into a new apartment there were quite a number of different things that i had on a, had on my list and you know wanted to see if i could get a deal on throughout the holidays this year that list was shorter although more, more expensive which maybe we can come back to hmm. um but i don't know i guess for me I didn't get as excited about either Black Friday or Cyber Monday or Cyber Week, whatever. But I don't, I don't know if that's just a function of, I guess it could be three things. Just a function of getting older and just not caring about that stuff as much anymore. Maybe this year not having as much on my list. Or I think another big thing too is just with the internet and services like Slick Deals, it just, it kind of feels like, you have access to pretty good deals throughout the calendar year, and there's a little bit less of a need to focus on getting deals at one particular time of year. 
So I'm going to say yes, kind of, to a couple of... So, uh, yeah, that's probably more... Well, like, and, and this goes back to the hashtag old Ryan, new Ryan type thing, which apparently there might have been a regression or, like, a falling <laughs> off the wagon type thing that we'll talk about. Um, and I'm really disappointed. Um, but also, the one thing I, I, I will push back on is um, slick deals for me is is really difficult in the sense that slick deals kind of like for me kind of just sets off considering things i just don't need um so like for generally i just find google shopping or just whatever the thing in the right hand sidebar whenever you search for a product it just trying to find the best price from a, a reputable company that you you you've purchased from before it's kind of the easiest way but no i think like you're right where probably as you get older like you, you just you know the stuff that you want you probably end up buying fewer things but higher quality versions of those things and you buy them when you need them yeah no i think actually you brought up a, another point that i wanted to make too which was the the idea around when you look around for deals whether that's in general throughout the year on slick deals or around this time of year where there's just lots of deals happening everywhere you do totally fall into that trap where, oh, this thing is 60% off. I didn't think I wanted it before, but now maybe I need it. And I, I did sort of consciously want to stay away from that because I made one relatively big purchase over the weekend. And I've definitely done that in the past and didn't want to sort of fall trap to it again. Yeah. Yeah, I just... I, I I've... I don't. Black Friday used to be special. It, you know, it, it really or, I mean, did. Like, and well, I think it, even, and like I, I mean, I, I used to work a number of years in retail, and there was some kind of perhaps sick part of me that kind of enjoyed it. Like I, like not. I guess <laughs> not so much consumerism. Like, <laughs> like I wouldn't, I wouldn't look forward to it necessarily, but being in the moment it was sort of a fun kind of environment and fun kind of weekend um and i i do sort of kind of miss that but well it, because like well like everything it everything in america like over the past 20 years has gotten ruined like by by the internet by the media by just everything because i've always like like black friday's kind of like i i totally get what you mean where like Black Friday kind of used to be special, or at least it like was kind of like this like event where like oh allegedly like a bunch of stuffs could be on sale. Like this this is the official kickoff of like the holiday gifts giving season. But now it's just uh, how many different ways you can spin uh, prices on things that aren't very good or people don't actually want and make it sound like they're actually a good deal. And then there's also like the slippery slope thing where. Um, do you do you know? And I haven't looked this up. Like this isn't a quiz, but who who was the first store to like do the we're open on Thanksgiving thing? It was probably Walmart, right? Well, no, Walmart's have actually historically stayed open all day on Thanksgiving. Most many Walmart's are twenty four hours, and they don't they don't close at all throughout the year. And then they would just set some type of time either in the evening or the early morning on Friday where they would, you know, officially kick off their actual specials, but the stores themselves would remain open. And I think it was, it might've been target. It might've no, been, it no, might've been target. Yeah. It might've been 
like one of the department stores, like a Macy's or something. It's some somebody like that was the one who eventually jumped the gun and and started opening on Thursday, which is also another thing I wanted to bring up, which I'm glad you reminded me of, which I think that's also taken away from it a little bit is, I mean, obviously, and, you know, I've lived through it so I can sort of speak to it, you know, asking people to be in a store at 3, 4 a.m. the day after Thanksgiving, or in fact, in some cases, it would be earlier in the morning or later in the evening on Thursday, depending on how you look at it, especially if you're uh, kind of a back uh, back room sort of employee that's got to get stuff ready. I, I, you know, you never feel great about taking people away from their families on a holiday, but where for me, where it really crosses the line are all these stores and, and they, most of them did it this year where they were open for at least part of the day on Thursday, which it's just, it's just crappy. It's just really, really crappy. There were some that opened at two o'clock, I think this year, which, ugh. Yep, and, and that's the thing. Like on like because if if you were watching any sports this this holiday weekend, like all you saw were ads like saying like make Walmart your only shop on uh, like your only stop for the holidays on Thanksgiving or some crap like that. Like it was it was terrible. But then like on on the other end of the spectrum, and I know it's it's probably eighty percent marketing, but like you have uh, and I know they're a specialty retailer and kind of like a probably not a universal example, but like REI that does their whole like hashtag opt outside thing. Where they stay closed on Thanksgiving and uh, Black Friday, which I like. Which, but the thing is, like, Target can't like all of a sudden just like take a moral stand and be like, "No, we're like the sales are going to happen no matter what." So let's just let's let's leave these two days alone, because as long as somebody's willing to do it, then like just in terms of fiduciary responsibility to your shareholders, that's uh, a non-starter. Well, and the other sort of silly thing, looking at just the actual physical retail part of this whole experience is it's becoming less and less relevant to have your stores open because virtually every retailer either offers the same exact deals that they offer in the store on their website or they at least offer deals that are pretty close so i just the the fact that there are still these people that feel the need to go into the store and especially those who wait in line overnight or over a couple of nights, something crazy like that, with just the accessibility to these deals online now that it, that, that already didn't make sense to me, the people who do the whole camp out thing, but it makes even less sense now, I think. I, I think that's probably a, a social phenomenon that stratifies across income lines. So I think th- I think that's tricky. But um, yeah. Anyway, Black Friday it's 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 mostly nonsense now. But again, for me, the the most uh, offensive is the wrong word. Ugh. Um, I need, I need a brain upgrade. Uh, the, like the most weird thing is just like most of the deals suck. Like or like just anything like they're not st- it's not stuff you want because the stuff that's either really good will either go on sale everywhere just because like the manufacturer has like given some type of instant rebate but other than that like anything that's like really discounted is probably junk or you run into the trap where um a manufacturer will make a specific skew that's like broken in some way or like has some weird limitation just to get the cost down that they only sell for the holidays like at certain retailers so like it's it's all just weird yeah that's the that's definitely true of the the front page deals as they're you know commonly known literally just the the items that are on the front page of 
uh, flyers that that stores send out. I, I assume they still include those in the paper. Yeah, like uh, them rewards in your Kmart's. <laughs> well, I mean, it's I I vividly remember you know you get the Sunday paper looking at you know the Best Buy catalog and the Toys R Us you know catalog or not catalog, but you know what I mean. The yeah, the little, the, the little circulars next. To yeah, them. yeah, yeah, yeah. So like literally the deals that are on like the front page of those typically are the best ones. And yeah, you're right. I mean, more often than not, it's it's kind of it's just kind of junkier stuff, which you're getting a really good price on. But I I wouldn't necessarily call it like a great buy necessarily. Definitely not a Best Buy. <laughs> no, um, and, and there's there's another aspect to all of this too, which has really nothing to do with the internet and I has predates you know stores opening on Thursday. I think it's sort of just been like a general observation I've had with Black Friday for a long time, which is stores also continue to do really good deals, if not better deals on certain items, the closer we get to Christmas. So the fact that people are willing to wait out overnight or over multiple nights, and there's just so much excitement around these couple of days, I think sometimes masks the fact that if you just wait another week or two, you can get maybe even the the same exact deal Mm -hmm. and not have to go through you know, the, the sea of humanity that is everyone focusing on, you know, Thursday, Friday, and well, Monday ish, I guess. Okay. So we, we should move off the topic and get to some, some other stuff, but a quick follow up question or vaguely related because you're kind of, you, you, you know, people with kids, um, are there still like, do you remember like back when, when we were, it was a long time ago, many decades ago. There was like the tickle me Elmos, and there was like the the the, the must have stuff. Yeah, is right. that now that there's the internet and like kids just watch YouTube all day, um, and play Minecraft? Apparently, I think is a thing. Are there like m- like this is the gift of the year, or is it just like uh, they want an iPad? So, I, w- I actually was thinking about something similar, and I. I thought that this year that one of the really hot things that would be extra hard to find because there'd be increased demand around the holidays would be the Nintendo Switch because it's it's been sort of hard to find throughout its life cycle so far and I figured around the holidays that would become extra true but I when I stopped by Best Buy on Saturday literally the first thing I saw and this keep in mind this was like Saturday morning so this was after the whole Thursday and and Friday rush there was literally a stack taller than me or just about as tall as me of switches that were just for the taking on the floor. So evidently that's not the case. Well, I mean, that that's probably because didn't that console launch in like July or something? It launched in March. And I, oh, you know, yeah, s- so I mean, since I've, well, I guess since I've gotten one, I, because at the time that I bought it in, I guess that was June or July, july i think they were still really hard to find and i i i kind of stopped paying attention afterwards and i I guess they've become but but i assume it's i assume it's kind of like an iphone 10 thing where eventually just like the the just like just the supply chain and just like everything kind of just matches matches demand and you just kind of because yeah if if you've had nine months to ramp up i assume they, they can sort out how to make the only product making them money I guess so. Although, you know, speaking of Nintendo, I guess one item that may fall into the category you were talking about of that really hard to find item that people are scrambling to get is remember last year they had come out with a mini version of the original Nintendo. Yeah, but didn't Nintendo artificially like stop? There's like, oh, we're done with this. 
Like they didn't ever actually get up to we're making a whole bunch of them. They're just like, oh, this was a fun thing we did for two weeks. Exactly. Although they're they are bringing it back next year. They've announced. And related to that, this year in I think this was late September, it came out. They came out with a Super Nintendo version of that. And initially, it was the same huge rush. You know, pre-orders sold out in seconds, virtually everywhere. And then Nintendo did come out and give a statement to say that they're not going to immediately stop production after the holidays like they did with the uh, original Nintendo retro thing. But I I, th- I want to say that I saw a couple of different headlines flash over the weekend that those things were still pretty hard to, pretty hard to come by. But I, yeah, I don't I don't know what the I guess I don't know what the tickle me Elmo of, of this generation is. Is there a is there a retro uh, Sega Genesis? There have been a lot of retro systems that have come out, kind of you know on the on the heels of the success of the original Nintendo. I don't know if the Genesis is one of them though. No, because remember that Genesis does what Nintendo don't. Oh, it's the only thing I remember from the nineties. Um, <laughs> Uh, a last bit of follow up, I think, is uh, uh, Uber had another week of 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 stuff. I, I genuinely feel bad for their um, the guy from Expedia, who's their new CEO. Well, I mean, he he had to have known what he was getting himself into. Did he? Or I mean, I, mean, I would I would think so. Do you think he knew about the data breach? Because that's the one thing I keep going back and forth on. Because that that becomes problematic in a couple of ways. So, so there were two things, the two big stories over like since we since we last spoke, where um, was it in March or it was like it was about a year ago, right? Uh, for the data breach, right. So fifty seven million customer user accounts. Was it just uh, names and email addresses or credit cards too? I I don't. I don't recall. I'll try to kind of scan this Bloomberg article as you're given the summary here. Okay, so we'll we'll say maybe credit card info. Um, uh, so that was that was stolen by hackers because uh, an Uber developer left um, some Amazon S3 login credentials inside like a GitHub repo or something, which yeah. Um, but apparently they uh, at the time paid the hacking group $100,000 to keep it quiet and uh, and trust that they would delete the information. Uh, and this happened a very long time ago and was only disclosed like as of two weeks ago. Um, so one, that's that's shady. And also, it's obvious why the payoff happened, just because since Uber is not a public company, uh, a very um, ethical CEO that they did have at the time probably wanted to do everything humanly possible to protect their uh, private market valuation in a data breach uh, that would erode customer confidence is probably not ideal. So therefore, paying hackers is probably uh, the better alternative in that person's eyes. But you know, so when when a new CEO takes over and is trying to clean house, like does he have access to that information? And if so, is it? It seems sketchy that he would continue to sit on that information. So I don't know. They're they're, ha- they're having a week. Yeah. So real time follow up here. This Bloomberg article summarizes what was stolen uh, here saying compromised data from the October 2016 attack included names, email addresses, and phone numbers of 50 million Uber riders around the world. Uh, The personal information of about 7 million drivers was accessed as well. 
including some 600,000 U.S. driver's license numbers. No social security numbers, credit card information, trip location details, or other data were taken. So from a writer standpoint, it does sound like it was names and email and I guess phone numbers as well, but not um, not credit card information. Got it. And and phone numbers, not not great for like SMS spam and a lot of other reasons. But yeah, the, the, the I guess the other thing and I, you know, as I want to do, I'll think about things like this from a, an accountant slash former auditor perspective. Like when this hundred thousand dollar payment goes out. I mean, I get that $100,000 to Uber's somewhat of a rounding error, but I would I would assume still that amount an, an amount like that would have to be, you know, approved by a couple of different people just through the standard um procurement process. And then I would assume also that that amount, you know, someone on the accounting team would ensure that that amount got classified correctly. And so <laughs> what I would wonder is like what the hell expense line item does that get booked to? <laughs> like, I just so many questions around that. I, I can think of what it can think. <laughs> um, like, they have to have something right below SGNA, which is just like just shady activity. <laughs> yeah, maybe right. Yeah, maybe. Uh, <laughs> what, what, what do they consider X items? I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. Ugh. Uh. Yeah, so that that that's a thing, and then also this week, um, you you saw the stuff with the the Waymo trial. I did, yeah. I think I um I, I put a link in the thing to um what what's his name on on Twitter who's been all who's been all over the Uber story. Mike Isaac, probably. Yeah, right. Yeah, he had a pretty pretty good tweet about it. So, yeah, man, the the, the judge is not fucking having it, which 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 is great because of like again. Uh, there's no limit and no there's literally no uh like you just can't see the like the bottom of the well with with this company and of of course they're they're using surreptitious tactics to try to hide activities related to stolen information and and, and like weird like illegal stuff when they're being investigated like i mean is that a surprise but i i i am very pleased that it actually got found out but it's 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 all fun stuff. Anyway, let's talk about fun things. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so you you did something, and <laughs> I, I, this is um. Hold on, let me let me let me make sure I'm getting my reference right. Uh, because I, I it's one of two people. It's either Romney or Kerry. Okay, this this so you have been involved in a John Kerry level of flip flopping. Uh huh. So you you were you were before it before you were against it. And now you have an LG OLED TV. Uh, even though I think literally two weeks ago, people can go listen to that episode. I, or maybe this was a pre-show thing. I don't know if it made the show. No, it was, it was on the show. Where you basically rationalize, you're like, uh, here's all the reasons why I'm not going to do this and, and blah, blah, blah. And um, what's on your wall, sir? Well, it's not on my wall yet, to be fair. It's, it's, still, on, <laughs> it's still on the stand. I have to figure out the, the wall mounting. Um, yeah, so I, I, I bought, bought one of these LG OLED TVs. They were pretty significantly discounted over the, the cyber week, whatever we're calling it. So there's, there's a few things that went into to this decision. I mean, first I'll, I'll put it out there. You're, you're totally right. This is something that I flip-flopped on. I am almost certain it's not the first time I've made a purchase that I said I wouldn't on the show. 
uh, there's probably been an iPad or I think I think this is the, the most material one. Sure. No. Yeah. That that's that's most certainly true. So there so there were a few things that went into the decision. The first is the the discount that I that I just mentioned. The second was, and I kind of started thinking about okay, I I don't because the the thing what I was tr- trying to say when I said it didn't make sense before was you know we just spent money on this TV a year ago on the Samsung TV. It really doesn't make sense to spend more money on a TV a year later. So I kind of started trying to think of, okay, well, is there a way I can kind of make this sort of revenue neutral, as you would say? This is a very accounting heavy episode. (laughs) Um, And so I thought about it some and something that's been on my mind for a long time is selling the desktop that I had built last year for my failed Oculus experiment. I I just hardly ever use that machine and in looking around on eBay it it seemed like, you know, the the resale value on some of that stuff was pretty good. And so once I pieced together all of that stuff and our current TV paired with the discount, it, you know, it ended up being where it wasn't going to be a huge additional expense to upgrade to this TV. And then the other thing that I thought about, and this this gets back to, of course, the famous Ryan Doctrine, which we've talked much about with the iPhone, which is, you know, I, I would say that the special lady friend and I, we don't wa- necessarily watch a ton of TV, but, you know, when we're, when we're at home in the evening together, you know, more often than not, we're watching a movie or we're watching a TV show. So we, we use the TV a fair amount. And it's been kind of crappy for the last year to just basically be consistently unhappy with one of the devices we use the most often here in the home. So, you know, I, I, putting all those things together, I, as you totally said correctly, did a kind of a 180 and, and ended up with one of these things. So I am I am no Doris Kearns Goodwin, but I think that is a very, very loose application of the Ryan Doctrine. <laughs> um, also, in terms of... Uh... What was it called? Uh, it's probably gap standards. I do. I do not think your your revenue matching for whatever whatever you're talking. Like, I don't think the Oculus can really be counted as funds that pay off the TV. No, pro- probably not. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Again, I, I I support you in in enjoying much better black levels. Like it's it's a fantastic TV. Like it it even has the John Syracuse. Um, seal of approval, even though he's not going to buy one yet because he he wants to wait it out a little bit. But like, it, it is a fantastic TV. So so more power to you and congratulations. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, and and also to be fair, you've been bullying me. Maybe not so much on the air, but certainly off air, you've been bullying me to buy this TV for a long time. No, I haven't. Wait, hold on. No, because here's the thing, and because and that's that's where the whole revenue matching thing makes me makes me angry. Because and I didn't I didn't press the point at the time, but the whole that all the all that getting rid of the Oculus like gaming PC stuff was supposed to pay for an iMac. Well, yeah, <laughs> that, that's that that's that's right. But again, I mean, the iMac would have fallen into the category that this desktop has, which is just something that I no. just don't use enough. Whereas the TV is something I use a ton. Well, and and the iMac would have been for everybody. If you ran it on High Sierra, <laughs> boom. All right, we'll we'll get there. I mean, you and like you and I are very, we're very different users yeah, of yeah. computers. No, I, I mean, I we know. we've had this conversation. No, and no, I, I I know that the iMac would not get used nearly as much in your case, but I still think you need it. 
I mean, I, I, you know, I, I would love one, but, um, but anyway, so I, I, I don't, I'd, I'd love an OLED TV. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I'll, you know, I'll save, I'll save a lot of thoughts on the TV. I, I, you know, it's, I literally took it out of the box on Saturday and have been kind of running around with other stuff. So I've, I've only used it a limited amount so far. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, initial impressions are, I mean, I think I, we talked about this when we were talking about um, friends of the show, Troy and Jacqueline, with their OLED TV that I saw, which is this same model as I have, just the 65-inch version. You know, it's got that built-in, like, Dolby Vision demo thing. And, like, I mean, all that all that stuff just, you know, looks looks incredible. Um, and the, the web OS interface is is pretty good it it's 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 whoa my i muted the uh i muted the echo in here but i just heard my dot in the bedroom go off that's creepy um, <laughs> anyway um the web os interface is is it's interesting it's really responsive which is great and it's pretty intuitive the weird part about it though is the remote is like a Wii remote. Mm-hmm. So it, it, there's like, you know, a, a pointer that you use by kind of moving the remote around just like you would a, um, like a Wii remote, which is fine. But the issue is, you know, I use a universal Logitech remote. And it, so it's sort of hard to emulate a lot of the functionality of that remote in a universal remote that obviously doesn't have the capability of moving the cursor around like the stock remote does. Which it's not a huge issue because I really don't, you know, I'm not really going to be interacting with the TV menu all that much. But still, it's kind of a little little quirk with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it you know it you know, 4K content especially with HDR and everything looks really really great. I mean, Comcast continues to look like garbage, which you know when you especially when you have a nicer TV becomes more and more disappointing. But, you know, that that is what it is. Well, good. I hope you like it. Congrats. Um, One thing I will say that I also really, really appreciate about this TV, which just infuriated me with that Samsung TV. And this is a total nerdy thing. And I've ranted about it on the show before. But it was, you know, it had three HDMI ports, which was annoying. This has four. But on top of that, only one of the three ports on that Samsung TV did true 4K. And all four HDMI ports on this LG are treated exactly the same, and they all do, you know, full 4K. Uh, when you die on your on your tombstone, they're going to put still angry at 85 <laughs> about the damn HDMI ports. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and I guess, you know, the, the last thing I'll say on this topic, which is my last little def- defense here, which is, you know, the, ex- the TV experience I had last year was crappy in that I had done a ton of research and ended up, you know, buying that Vizio TV, which was, you know, I, I get, you know, get your Vizio jokes out of the way here, but it was, you know, it was the wire cutter recommendation. Everybody, everybody really liked it. It seen and it was on sale at a really good price at Best Buy. It just seemed like a total home run. It was the exact right size, and it was you know it was broken out of the box. And then, just with the scramble of moving in and just really wanting to get settled in, sort of you know panic bought this Samsung TV without really doing a lot of research. 
Well, so, so real quick, like, and, and I, I apologize because I think I, I didn't pressure you, but I think I endorsed this Samsung TV too early before I had results. I think you got it maybe a month after I did, right? Right. So here's the thing. I think I'm done with the wire cutter because the reason I bought this and, and I got us into this quagmire um, is to, is, is because the wire cutter said it was, a, it was one of the, the best, like reasonably sized, uh, HD TVs. And it it this like TV is legitimately a bad TV. Like the backlight bleed, all of it, just it it it's it's not a very good TV. Um and it wasn't all that cheap either. So I think like it, with a lot of things, I like the sweet home, but like I th- I'm I think I'm done with the wire cutter, man. Because their recommendations are are wrong a lot of the time. Well, I I can't think of any other example personally that their camera stuff is bad. Mm, okay. I haven't like, really it, like they, they because here's like they they weigh how much something costs too much. Like they they will they will promote crappy products because of the price. See, I kind of I disagree a little bit there because I, I I a I actually think that's something that makes them really valuable is that they don't always just say here's the absolute best thing and it costs eight thousand dollars. Well, no, but, but they like also th- but they also you know they'll make their recommendation, but. Nine times out of ten, they'll have a, I think what they usually call like an upgrade pick, where they say, hey, if cost isn't much of a factor for you, here's what we would recommend. So I feel like they sort of cover all their bases there. I think they try to, but I think whenever they're ma- like, and I'm not saying, because there's always like the extreme choice, like there's always like the 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 like trademark Marco choice, which and again, like I know you don't, like I, I, I've been hot and cold about marco but he's he's been crushing it for like the past two years about being right about everything um or but he's somebody who really appreciates like hot like he doesn't mind paying for quality when when it warrants it and and he's also frugal with other things but like the wire could like they do have like they're like oh, here here's our like if you don't mind spending a little bit more here's maybe i think they call it like their upgrade pick um and it's it's fine but like i still find that they will like they they seem to like with every product category like latch on to one like trait of the product that is actually for most people not something they should care about and then they will either like too heavily um endorse something or uh like penalize another product because it does or does not do something that's not actually important i don't know but I, maybe i'm just being uh picky cuz like they 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 make weird camera endorsements so anyway congrats on your tv thank you are you gonna go re- uh because i still haven't watched it because i know you i know you've recommended it multiple times but you said to try out the apple tv 4k you and the uh, the special lady friend or soon to be special lady friend watch the martian yes isn't that a very dark movie kind of or am i thinking of like interstellar more so interstellar but um i guess the martian is in spots yeah i mean speaking of the apple tv 4k though i mean I'll say right off the bat, I mean, you can immediately tell just the, I mean, the inter the interface just looks a thousand times better on, on this TV than it does on the Samsung. And it's the, this, this, um, this, the, the, the LG OLED also supports Dolby vision, which is their implementation of HDR. And, you know, Apple sort of has this pecking order of what it considers you know, sort of good, better, and best picture quality. And it it evidently says that Dolby Vision is considered to be better than HDR10. 
that's what the UI implies because it'll it detects when the TV has Dolby Vision and it'll say, oh, you know, hey, this is a superior picture quality. Would you want us to switch over to this? Which, you know, I don't know if that's true or not. But in any case, even, I mean, again, you can just tell right away from the UI that, you know, colors look a lot better. Um, so what's what's going to be your your test content then? Like what when once you get it well mounted and everything, what's what's going to be like a, a dark movie, like in terms of visuals, not content that, that you're looking forward to watching? So the the thing that I'm incredibly excited about is so I'm a big Christopher Nolan fan, not a not a fan of his take on Netflix, but a fan of his movies at least. And on I think it's like December nineteenth, they just announced this like a week ago. They're coming out with a uh, Blu-ray box set, a 4K Blu-ray box set of like all of his really popular movies, and I'm super, super excited about that. And so I think that'll be the that'll be the big uh, the big test. Is he is he the one that makes the Batman movie that you keep endorsing that I uh-huh. watch? Exactly, okay. and that'll that'll look that'll look awesome. I think. Um, and for in the people at home, which which is your favorite Batman movie, or the one that you're just like, this is just one of like the top three movies ever made? The Dark Knight. Okay. Which is the second in his Batman trilogy. But again, you contend that it has enough backgrounding where uh, there's not a prerequisite to watch anything else, really. Well, I mean, no, you sh- you should watch Batman Begins because it's it's not as good as The Dark Knight, but it's still an excellent movie. But you said if you if you don't have the patience for it, you're not uh, you could too out of luck. No, you you could you could get by. I mean, especially I mean, I presume you know the basics of Batman, so. You could, you could get by. <laughs> um, no, I guess the, I mean the other thing that I did was I mean obviously they have those Dolby demos, which is which is kind of a good a good thing to to watch. And then I and we'll talk more about this. I think is I I bought Battlefront Two, which is the the Star Wars game that everybody's all up in arms about. And I I played that on my xbox one s not i don't have the x but the the s and which does hdr at least and that you know that looked pretty good well okay um actually i think on this uh informal agenda i actually have you talking about whatever battlefield 2 is up next so just keep going battle battlefront not battlefield just, oh you know, okay to avoid that correction email that would come in so battlefront 2 so Brief history for folks like you who are not probably plugged into this series. Uh, Battlefront was a sort of beloved Star Wars online multiplayer game, I guess maybe in the early 2000s, maybe late 1990s. Um, and you know, it was sort of like a Call of Duty or a Battlefield game, but set in the Star Wars universe. And again, was was sort of universally liked. Uh, they made a couple of them, and, and everybody really enjoyed them a lot. But then they, you know, kind of like the rest of Star Wars, really kind of faded into the distance until, of course, Star Wars came back with Disney's acquisition of the the movie and TV rights. And sort of in conjunction with that, Disney then turned around and sold the Star Wars video game rights to um, EA. And one, of, I think this might have even literally been like the same day that that announcement was made. EA said, you know, hey, and we're we're bringing Battlefront back, and everybody, including myself, was super excited about that. So Battlefront One came out uh, two years ago, came out in uh, 2015, and wasn't a 
aggressively bad game, but wasn't great. It was pretty light on content. It, it literally didn't have any sort of single player campaign. It was all just online. It had a limited number of maps and modes. And people in, people in general were just sort of a little underwhelmed by it. And so flash forward to this summer when EA started talking a lot more about Battlefront 2, it sort of seemed like they were hitting on all the right notes. They talked about how they were putting in a ton of new content, including a single player campaign, more maps, more modes. On top of that, they were going to make all additional maps and modes free. So the, the game, the first one from a couple years ago, like a lot of games, had the option of buying a season pass, which gave you access to all of the uh, downloadable content or DLC, as the kids say, after the fact. And they said, you know, we're going to provide that all for free. You know, there was a open beta at some point over the summer, which people seemed to like. I mean, everything was just trending like this was going to be the game that everybody's been waiting for. But then the game went into a kind of a, a preview mode. So it came out, I guess it was like two Fridays ago now. And, and three days before that, if you bought sort of like the ultra premium version you got access to the game three days early. And right away, people started noticing a couple of pretty alarming things. One was in order to unlock a lot of weapons and characters, you needed just an exorbitant amount of credits. I, I'm, I'm simplifying the systems a little bit because that's a whole other topic that's not worth getting into here. But you, basically, you needed to accrue these you know, experience points and credits that you earned by playing the game and people were doing the math, and it was going to take like weeks and months to earn some of these characters. And the other thing that people noticed, which this and this is what really set everybody off, was you know the one big thing that's happening in games now is this concept called loot boxes. And basically, what this is is usually paying real money, although sometimes you can earn these just with in-game currency too. And you basically get a box and that box will, you know, include basically some random set of items, which could be um, experience points. It could be, and this is what it usually is. And this is why people are usually a little more okay with it. Like just cosmetic stuff, you know, costumes and whatever stuff that doesn't necessarily affect the core gameplay. But in Battlefront 2, people noticed that these loot boxes, which again, you could pay real money for included a lot of the stuff that would otherwise take a really, really long time to earn just through the natural course of playing the game. So it, long story short, you could basically, you know, kind of pay to play and level yourself up a lot more quickly if you're willing just to throw a bunch of extra money at it. So you combine the fact that items were way overpriced with the fact that people could throw money at it to kind of get around that and people got really pissed off. And over the course, literally over the course of the three days between when early buyers got access to the game and when the game came out to the public, EA first reduced the price on most characters and items by, in some cases, like 75%. But then, the, literally the night before the game came out, EA just decided to scrap the whole concept of using real money to buy these loot boxes and just took all of that out of the game. So it's just it was just kind of a a crazy story and and it's it's kind of like with the Xbox One announcement where 
they came out of the gate with all these weird DRM requirements and having to be constantly connected to the internet, and they eventually you know scrapped all that. But in a lot of ways, the damage was already done. The bad PR was already out there. And even though they took away all that stuff, like that negative perception still to this day sort of haunts the Xbox One. And that's sort of what's happened with Battlefront 2 is it's, you know, it's just it's kind of too little too late. So everything's good now? Or so, I mean, sorry, did they, (laughs) no, no, did did they backtrack on, like, if you had been asleep the entire time and not known anything, is it, like, is, is the main point of contention resolved now? Like, is this not just like a DLC money pit? It It is and it isn't. I mean, the the sort of core progression of the game, which again is kind of the part that I glossed over a little bit because there, there's like three different currencies and there's like cards and abilities, like all this stuff. And it's kind of just a grind to earn all that stuff. And so... From that perspective, I mean, people aren't still super thrilled with the game. And again, I think it's just sort of, it's just sort of too little, too late. Where I think a lot of people are just sort of thinking, you know, you only did this because of the outrage. You didn't do this because this is sort of what you felt was best for the game. And so people just, I just think, have a a sour taste in their mouth. Yeah, yeah. That's this. This is kind of what I envision most modern video games to be. So that's kind of yeah, not because in there are two. There's two main video companies, right? Not video companies. Video game companies. There's EA and Activision, or are they have they merged? No, there's there's they're separate. And you're right. They're the they're the two biggest publishers by far. And they're both bad, right? Like in the sense that like because I I know people really 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 dislike Electronic Arts. Because aren't most of their games, like, it's literally just, it's no longer just $60 for the game. It's just literally how much money can we extract from people? Like, is that just kind of like the passing internet outrage that I see, like, secondhand? Or is that actually, like, their business model? Well, yeah, yeah, it's not specific to EA. It's definitely a, a problem in the industry at large where you're exactly right. There's There's a lot of pressure from investors now to not just sell the $60 game, but also to have some form of, you know, continuing revenue. And that's, you know, that's put, it's, I think it, honestly, I think what's, what's really hard about all this too, is I have to imagine that a lot of people who worked on, on a game like Battlefront 2 probably wanted no part of the the systems that they put in place and but they were you know mandated from management to do so and that's you know it's kind of it's it's a crappy thing for the players and it's a crappy thing for the people who who worked on the game they were just following orders Mm -hmm. yeah well that's that's unfortunate yeah that's why i only play monopoly (laughs) uh right so Actually, I think you probably have our our informal agenda. Did do you want to jump around or where where do you want to go? Well, let's let's um, let's get you let's get you talking a little bit here. I, that was, that's my, my, that might have been the longest stretch I've ever talked consecutively on this show. Um, I mean, I guess I feel like we have we we made a joke about it near the beginning. I feel like we have to talk about this High Sierra security exploit because it's just it's just crazy. 
Yeah, so Apple's also they're they're having a week. So, and <laughs> uh, um, okay, so they uh, somebody, um, okay, well, m- multiple sides or multiple points to start you with the story. Can't no, can't, I know can't, that. You can't use God. that phrase. Yeah, he's he's ruined a lot Some of phrases. Ruined that phrase. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, okay, so. This actually all started on November 13th. There was a thing where somebody posted on Apple's developer forums where they found that um, if you, for some reason, like were locked out of an administrator account, you can actually go into and try to log in or go into like the user accounts setting on a Mac and uh, just type in the word root, where if you, if you aren't familiar, um, OS 10 sometimes known as Mac OS, but it's called OS 10 is based on Unix. And, 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 uh, that has a super user account, uh, at the, at the root of the system called with a root. And that allows you to do anything on the machine, regardless of what the user account is. So that is the very first user account that exists on a computer. So with, uh, OS 10, apparently on, uh, high Sierra, the most recent release, uh, there was uh, some type of bug or permissions issue with the login window where if you just typed root and then uh, hit like enter twice or tried to log in twice with no password in it, it would just give you super user access to the entire system. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, Hi Sierra came out in September. So there was a uh, super user vulnerability uh, for two whole months in the wild where if you had access to a powered on Mac, uh, you could just do whatever you want. And this also worked, uh, by the way, uh, over the local area network. So if you were, let's say, on a school network and you just did like command K at the finder window and tried to do a um, remote access to just some random IP address, if you just typed in root, that would also work. So yes, yeah, so not great. So that that uh, was posted to a developer forum on November 13th. And then um, whatever yesterday was, everybody on Twitter got mad at some guy or people were half mad and people were half laughing a lot um, at uh, a European uh, security researcher who posted like at Apple support, like this is, is just not good. And, and this is what happens. Um, and the people who are mad were like, Oh, why aren't you reporting this to the standard, like bug systems, uh, bug reporting systems and stuff like that. And uh, for everybody else, it's just kind of like, this is just such an insane type of uh, zero day exploit that exists on an update that's on millions of machines where it's just kind of you just you just can't do anything but just stop and stare and and just just holy shit yeah i mean it's just you wonder how in the world something like this (laughs) got got into the final version of the os or really even into like a beta of the os it's just it's crazy i mean the only thing I'll say in Apple's defense is once this really got out there, they were quick to fix it. A, a security patch went out today, and we'll put a link in the notes to an article that Jason Snell wrote where he points out that it's sort of one of these rare cases that Apple's used a couple times in the past, but doesn't use all that often, where it's actually sort of an automatic update where even if even if the user doesn't prompt the the update to download and install it will just do so on its own and it doesn't require a reboot or anything so it just sort of happens in the background but anyway yeah crazy crazy story and just bizarre that it that it 
got as far as it did. Yes. But then, so, so the best part of this whole thing for me is, so if you, if I sent you a link to the thing and you can put it in the show notes, um, if you look at the original tweet that apparently the guy who reported it, and this wasn't the same person who noted it weeks earlier on Apple security or developer forums, uh, his name is Lemmy Ergen. But if you look at all the Twitter replies, uh, one of the ones near the top is from uh, at Apple support. And it looks like it's just some random person just thinking it's just like some person with a, just a general computer inquiry where it says let's take a closer look at what's happening together send us a dm that includes your mac model along with your os version and we'll meet up with you there (laughs) oh no and then somebody right below writes i mean the whole internet kind of wants to know now so maybe meet us here yikes so like i think it's kind of funny i i don't know like i don't know it's 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 a little funny it's also very scary but it's also a little funny well it's it doesn't there there's been no reports of this being exploited in any serious ways and oh no i'm sure it has by governments like that's that's the whole thing so like if you i don't like i don't know how closely you follow like uh security stuff like um like back in like 2015 uh there were a bunch of um because when like because governments will pay a lot of money for what are called like an unpublished zero day exploits where you can use uh active um software bugs in currently shipping software and you keep them private and you and uh like covert agencies like the nsa and stuff will try to use that to get into uh machines of criminals and foreign states and all that kind of stuff so like uh, i i'm sure that the government and many other people knew that this existed so i'm sure it was exploited but i don't think it was common knowledge for like the general public and internet otherwise it would have been fixed much earlier but i i'm sure it was used but uh in 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 lighter news the home pod was delayed which and, and here's the thing, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be snarky about it but because it because the whole everything about the home pod is weird it was it was announced six months early for reasons that are unknown people can and and and, and okay and we're not gonna about talk about upgrade this week but like yeah like it seems weird that it was announced so early because you're just kind of not really sure why in terms of like, is it supposed to be that it's supposed to stop people from thinking about buying a Google Home or an Amazon Echo for Christmas? Like, because I don't see the benefit. They weren't announcing like an SDK or something for people to develop apps for it. And it was announced at a developers conference, which also doesn't make sense. So I guess I just don't understand why it was announced so early and also announced with so few um, features other than just being allegedly a nice sounding speaker that you can use Siri to summon music for. So the fact that it's uh, for a product that was announced six months earlier, that it was announced that it would be delayed. Like that's not that, like that's not that newsworthy. And it's kind of like, okay, like Apple maybe missed a deadline or they're, they're uh, refining some things like that's totally cool. But I don't think the product is probably fundamentally changing. And I think the product, like that, the problem, the product in itself is maybe more the problem. Or just the fact that like it just I, I kind of don't understand why it exists, other than to be an iPod Hi-Fi 2.0, which is cool. But for a company that like can't be bothered to put any emphasis into the Mac and stuff like that, I I I, I don't necessarily get it. Yeah, I so we'll we'll put a link in the notes to this Bloomberg article that sort of outlines some of its reporting. It's done around the kind of troubled 
history of the of the home pod and, and maybe some of the reasons why it was delayed but yeah i mean it, it i guess we're we're a bit of a broken record here because i'm sure we've had this conversation probably right around when this product was announced it's just it's just a product that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me it it's it, at least it, it doesn't until it does stuff that makes it more competitive with the echo sort of right it, it's it's sort of like the apple tv 4k but taken to the extreme where i mean the apple tv 4k is overpriced for what it is and is is missing features of competitive products that are less money but but only on a little bit more of a marginal basis meaning you know it's it's maybe sixty dollars more expensive than it should be something like that whereas i mean the home pod is what 399 i think so we're talking like three times the price four times the price of an echo and it it arguably only does one thing better which is it undoubtedly sounds better but I mean Siri, I mean Siri at least for me continues to be just kind of awful. So like the idea that I'm going to try to replace the lady in a can which by and large works pretty well with a again in, in my experience a completely inferior assistant. I mean I just why why in the world would you pay four times the the price for that? It doesn't doesn't make sense. And the people that are um still fairly optimistic or bullish uh, that's the word on on the homepod seem to be saying like that well yes apple makes overpriced things but um it's because they offer ease of use and product integrations that only apple can which which is true ish like i mean because of the way they protect their ecosystem like that that is totally true that if you you use apple music and you are um fully integrated into iCloud and all that stuff like this will potentially be better for you but i guess like and 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 i'm not going to we're going to get to the mac eventually today but my my main issue is just like i don't i don't see why this can't just be like another beats product like i mean cuz amazon through their partnership with sonos is making a better sounding echo and echo as you see in a weekly newsletter is getting better and smarter all the time um, so why necessarily does this need to be a product that has like enough of Apple's attention when Apple can't ship a, a, a computer that has a keyboard? Like my, my letter N key, a third of the time doesn't work right. It'll either do two keystrokes or no keystrokes. So I have that paperweight yet like this is, is getting attention and and is is a product of focus it it just seemed i don't know this is this is probably more just personal nitpicking that that's not productive but i i just don't necessarily get it cuz it seems like even if you make a really good speaker that has good microphones and has uh like hooks into Siri Siri itself even with iOS 11 yes the voice sounds better but the assistant and all the back end cloud stuff is still not that smart and is still not that useful and is still overly uh jokey when it fails so i i even if like a ton of the hardware things about this product are right i i just don't see why why it it deserves attention like again let let this let the ship date slip as much as it needs to but also just why was it even announced 
because it's it's it like I don't think it's heading off purchases of other things because like unless people are getting secondhand information that it's like way more useful than it actually is, it's not even it's not even an Echo replacement. It's not a Google Home replacement. It's just a, a very nice sounding barely smart speaker that's four hundred dollars. Yeah, and to, to to be fair, which is I think what I've said before. Again, I'm just I'm not the one who's going to emphasize sound quality above all else with these types of devices. I just I just don't in my particular living situation have a need for a loud better speaker. I'm just not going to get a lot of utility out of that. Maybe if I was in a situation where sound quality was more important, I'd be a little more excited about it, but for me with these types of products it's all about the quality of the assistant. And I mean, Siri's just not there. And like, I almost wonder if in some ways Apple would have been better served just really, to use the phrase that you love so much, lean into just making this the Hi-Fi 2 and not not really including any sort of Siri functionality and just saying, hey, we're making an awesome new speaker. And again, like, and they and they have two avenues to do it. Like they they have AirPods, which again I I resisted for a long time, and I I will totally flip flop on saying that I was wrong about them. I still think they look silly, but they're fantastic. But like they could have done, they could have like what's uh Air, Air, Airbox or like like they could have called it something like that, or they bought the whole Beats sub brand and they still make all that kind of stuff, which still for some reason uses micro USB, not Lightning or USB C for some reason. But they could have like uh, made a nice semi connected speaker there, but yet somehow this is like a quasi flagship product without anything to back it up. Hmm. Anyway. All right. Uh yeah, we'll skip we'll skip over the 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 Genius Grove improvements. Um Do you want to do some uh, news and brief before we uh, get to the iPad thing? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Google Finance got a sort of a facelift. Yeah, welcome is... welcome to the 21st century Google Google Finance. Well, and I, uh, yeah, again, I don't want to I don't want to be snarky about it, but like it's just it was it was it, it was a very useful site because there's like there's not um a ton of good financial data sites that aren't like integrated into your trading platform bloomberg used to be good but then they had that redesign in like 2015 where it was better for news but everything else got worse and so google finance just kind of sat there uh but even as like the entire world stopped using flash and youtube was a pioneer of html5 video and everything but google finance still would only show you this like weird like bitmap stock chart that was totally not interactive at all if you didn't have Adobe Flash installed. So I'm happy it got updated. Yeah, I mean, it looks looks really nice. Um, Nikon is uh, shutting down one of its Chinese uh, camera factories, uh, blaming the um, advent of smartphones for um, for that, which, yeah, sound, sounds about right. Which we have talked extensively about here, and I can totally see can totally see why why this is the case. Yeah, and like I've been, I've been doing a purge where I'm trying to uh, recoup money for a purchase that I made, and also just clearing out junk out of my closet. And I came across a decade old Canon PowerShot camera, and apparently it is worth two dollars, so it is now in a it it it's it's an electronics recycling, but it might as well be a landfill. 
So can we? So before we get into the big, the bigger topic, the, I think that that falls into this news and brief category. What what is this? You've you've teased this purchase offline, and now you've done it online. What, what did you, what did you buy? Didn't we talk about this at length? No, the camera thing. Yeah, we did. So so did did you did you buy it? Yeah. Oh. It's not out yet, but but it yeah. Wait. Hmm. Yeah, it's not shipping yet. So that that picture that you sent me. No, that's that was a phone picture. Oh God, if that was a, a picture from a forty-two megapixel camera, I, I I would throw that in the garbage. Well, but you 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 said something about something was something about that being like a new camera or something. No, no, I said new phone. I said new phone. Who dis? So what's the new phone? Oh yeah, it. So well, you you can tell from the picture. Can can I? Oh yeah, look at it. I'm 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 looking at it, and I I can't. How 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 would I be able to tell? Well, does it does it look like it came from a particular type of phone? No. Damn it! All right. Uh, so it's from a Google Pixel, and and that was using their fake portrait mode type thing. Really? And it, and it yeah. The the background doesn't even really look blurred. Because they did it in a sensible way, where it's not <laughs> exaggerated like the iPhone. Um, yeah. So so I I have I have a Google Pixel two now, and um, uh, it's it's a pretty solid phone. But the only things I wanted to remark upon, like this isn't going to be like some in-depth review or anything. Um, one, Google has knocked off uh, live photos, and they call it uh, just Google Motion Photos, which decent name. Um, and it works basically the same as live photos, which is kind of cool. Um, and they also have, even without like some funky dual camera lens setup, um, it just does algorithmic background blurring. And it's it's pretty great. Yeah, so it turns out you don't need some weird double camera setup to do exaggerated fake background bokeh effects. Isn't it pronounced bokeh? It's really not. Okay. No, I think that's just the way Phil Schiller pronounces it. <laughs> Got it. It must, um, it must be some, something to do with the, the, those deeper pixels. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, Pixel 2, not bad. Uh, Google Assistant, and that's the other thing. I've been used to playing around with Google Assistant more, which really, really um, uh, makes it upsetting to go back to using Siri because uh, it, it, it is much, much better. Because again, that's the thing with the Assistants where um, Google Assistant is by far the best and it's very conversational and it um, because it has the power of Google behind it, it does like, you know, the thing where Google will give you like a like just whatever you ask it, like it'll just pop up. Like it'll give you the one paragraph from the entire internet that's like the right thing that you want. Right. Yeah. Like so, Google Assistant is very good at that, and it'll speak a lot of that stuff back to you. And then the, then there's Echo, which feels like much more like like a pro a programmers like type of interface where it's much more rigid, but it's also just insanely fast and like unapologetic when it does it when like just something doesn't work right. Where just like. Uh, I don't know if you listened to the episode of the talk show with um, Ben Thompson, but he described it really well. Where like you, you, even though it doesn't work all the time, um, you don't feel bad when it gets it wrong. Uh, like where Siri, you just kind of get angry because like it just tries to act like either it was your fault or like it gives you no like recourse. <laughs> um, where Echo will just be like, uh, I didn't understand you or I don't know how to do that yet. Like it'll just be super like this is why it didn't work and let's move on or like, let's maybe try it again where Siri goes like, oh, don't overcook that egg or here's what I found on the web for you, which is literally every, every other response is here's what I found on the web for you, which, which is just, it's very upsetting. 
so anyway the the sorry that was a i'm all out of sorts but like the, the pixel it's fine and what what prompted that purchase uh it, it's 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 uh it, it's a secondary device got it yeah keep it vague got it yep um all right do you have any news in brief or do you want to round this out with just um yeah no let's round this out with the the big topic here okay oh god this better not be a big topic um can you summarize it or or kind of maybe tee it up for me or you uh, for us so well you said you didn't want to talk about upgrade but we kind of have to <laughs> with this topic. Or, I'm, I'm, or i guess we're not gonna have to do like a refutation or like because i i don't want to push that so much as it being like an yeah but the, but that that is the the prompting event well, and also there was, and we'll put this in the notes, there was a um, six colors article by Jason Snell titled, What's a Real Computer? And the, the general gist is, you know, the the conversation that we've been having for a while now, which is, you know, can you use an iPad kind of in air quotes as a laptop or like sort of for a lot of people, like what's the difference between a formal laptop versus just using an iPad? Um so we've, we've kind of had that, we've had that conversation before, but sort of the, the new wrinkle here is this idea that Apple could make a, a device that runs iOS that's sort of in a laptop form factor. So it's not, it's not a replacement for the Mac. It's not a replacement for the iPad. It's something that sort of sits in between and is sort of a new category of iOS device. And so my interpretation from you is that this made you quite angry and no, no, no. Okay. Well, what am, what am I missing here? Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> so, so Jace, uh, so six color, uh, the, the Jason Snell empire kind of, uh, talked about a lot of stuff this week. Uh, so specifically with, with the, what was the, the iPad laptop, uh, just ruminations, um people should go listen to that episode of upgrade um and it was because so he it it started last week when him and john were talking about uh that potential concept and then he wrote a thing on six colors about it uh if you don't like just why why isn't there like uh why isn't like one of the next macbooks gonna run ios and then they discussed it more on upgrade and he he discussed a lot of the criticism that he received on twitter from people so i'm not mad or offended or anything like by like the idea that there could be a laptop running iOS. Like we've talked about it at length. Like I, I, I personally, in my own personal opinion, think that even in light of iOS 11, using an iPad as like a primary productivity device is kind of a fool's errand unless you have a very specific type of workflow or task that you're doing on it. And if that is what you have, cool. Like, I mean, like that uh, for me, it would not work. And, and we've discussed at length why, but he, I could be misremembering and you can tell me if I am, but isn't he the one who for many years has been, at least maybe I'm, I, I could be misremembering. Like he's the source for the, this is what Apple thinks a laptop in OS 10 is. And this is what they think an iPad is. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I thought so. It's sort of like the anti-Microsoft view, right? Where yeah. you keep these devices separate as opposed to trying to blend them into one device. 
Yeah. And I think even specifically, like he had brought up kind of um, like their like Apple has like this fundamental like core belief that the Mac is like a 90 degree angle, like perpendicular experience or something where it's like mouse and keyboard and display and like just moving your hands and doing stuff like that. Like that's just not how the Mac works. And specifically with the iPad and iOS devices, those are touch input devices, which like it's a distinction like that. That's fine. And for a while, there were some people who made like there were Logitech and Zag and a bunch of other people who are making kind of like funky keyboards that tried to experiment with, well, text input's not very easy on the iPad. And some people like to write with these or do email and stuff and they don't like typing on glass. So let's, let's try making a keyboard for them. And that was okay for a while. And then Apple very half-assedly or like they, they gave very limited support for keyboard shortcuts and making iOS keyboard friendly. Like they, they didn't embrace it much, but it, 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 there was some level of like uh software and operating system support for that. And then they did with the iPad pros. Was that the first time they made the smart keyboard? Yes, I believe so. So I think, like so yeah so they've been slowly kind of inching that way or at least maybe legitimizing the uh keyboard combo type uh like prop your ipad up type situation and legitimizing that use case and i and i get that but i guess like i just uh i just it 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 doesn't make sense to me and doesn't ring true and and, and jason and and the people who think this weren't saying that like this is a product in the pipeline now or like i assume apple has tried everything i i assume there's uh like an imac that's exactly like a surface studio sitting in some like uh cave inside apple park like i assume they've tried to make everything just because like that's what an r&d department and any smart company does they, they try to experiment with these form factors so that when customer tastes change they can address that but like i just i don't see this happening or that it's particularly good. Like for a company that already can't pay any attention to the Mac, um, why would you make like this weird, like, cause that's just such a weird product. Because I, I think the people who believe this also say like, it wouldn't have a trackpad on it. Like you would still have to touch the screen a whole bunch. So at that point, like, why wouldn't Apple just make better accessories? Like, the fact that they would make kind of this weird Chromebook-ish-y thing doesn't, just doesn't ring true to me at all. Because, like, since it's Apple, they generally don't go that down market. So this thing isn't going to cost, like, $250. So just, why? So that, (laughs) right, that's the same question that I have which is just sort of who's this for? But you know, I'll be I'll be well, the first it, it, to, and it's for Mike. Like like that's the well, thing, and that's you know, I think, I think so. The, the the core of this conversation and lots of the other previous conversations we've had on this similar topic is, I, I the I think the opinion of you and me is that ourselves and we sort of think that the overwhelming majority of people would not be able to get their work done on an iPad or I guess now spoken more generally, a device, whatever the form factor is, running iOS. 
And like, I'll, I'll kind of speak really candidly here. Like I'm sort of annoyed by people who (laughs) can do their entire job using iOS. Like, and maybe, yeah, I mean, maybe that's not, maybe that's not fair, but like, I think of the types of, I think of the types of things that I do on a, you know, on a Mac or on a Windows PC, doesn't really matter. And like the thought that someone could do their job without all of the functionality devices like that have is just, it's, it's kind of, it's just kind of annoying. <laughs> oh man, I've never, like, are, are um, you, are you doing real work? You know, like, I, Ooh, hmm. oh, you said it. Oh, okay. Oh man, I'm, Please direct your your hate mail uh, to to one two three. Um, oh, okay. Because I because I'll point out and I'll point out that you know Jason and Mike, who are champions of this idea, admit multiple times on this most previous episode and on previous episodes that they need a Mac to do basically the the primary part of their job especially in mike's case which is the podcasting piece so it seems kind of disingenuous to to push this idea that you can use an ios device for everything while you know and like you know jason also used the example of students and i i I think that's true i think students probably could get by with an ios device I thinking back, I'd have to think about it a little more carefully. Thinking back to sort of my college days, I may or may not have been able to do that. It's kind of hard to say, but again, just the the thought of doing your entire job on an iOS device, I I just can't relate to. Oh, I like that I get to come off as a good person this episode. Um, man. Okay. Oh, all right. So yes. Yeah, so it is kind of a no- <laughs> yeah. It's. If you are able to get your entire work done just because you like you're cool, it's like flipping back and forth between email and Slack and a web browser and maybe like um, a document writer, like like that's that's great. But is that is that is that work? Really? Ooh. Is that is that is that oh, some? Oh man! Oh, I mean, I'm 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 kind of asking a serious question. Is flipping back and forth between email and Slack is that is that someone's job? Yeah. Well, that's that's the thing where, <laughs> and I think that's what makes people who are such big proponents of the iPad angry. Um, is it is the is the is the um, the suggestion that they're not doing real work, which no, but that's the thing. Like, so people like if so, let's exclude podcasters because like I think because we are in kind of like that T word bubble and like and like we listen to a lot of podcasts and a fair amount of them are about technology. Um. Like, I think there are some people who could get their work done on an iPad. And I think a lot of kids, like, you know, like, again, you know more people with kids than I do. And, like, they, but from what I see, like, they're just parked on an iPad all day long. Like, I have seen, like, in, like, um, this when I'm out and about shopping and stuff, like, kids will, like, be watching, like, full-length movies and just, like, sitting there, uh, like, with their screens, just, like, just living on an iPad for their entire day. And, and, and it, 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 it terrifies me. But, like, that is a thing that happens. So I assume for some people, like if like, and let's think about like older people, older people too, where it's it's very limited use. Like I occasionally want to look stuff up on the web. I want to email people. I want to check Facebook. Occasionally, I want to look at photos people send me. 
for a lot of people, that encompasses a whole ton or potentially everything they would use a quote-unquote real computer for. And that is one of the things where I think an iPad is a fantastic device. And it's a reason why I own an iPad, even though I don't actually use it that much. Because there are certain things that I think actually, yeah, it is really good at. Like it's a great ebook reader. It is it sometimes, um, depending on what I need to do, like sometimes a good couch computer. But for work-ish stuff, or like for me just getting anything done, like I just use too many different applications or or things where i need to like manipulate data in one application and move it to another and it's like do things to things where an ipad is a complete non-starter for me and like i guess that's where just an ipad as like like a, a actual like laptop running ios doesn't really make sense to me because it just isn't addressing the limitations of ios nor is it playing to its strengths like it just seems like you're now basically um like soldering together uh what was a like one type of use case for an ipad like i think one of the cool things about the ipad is that it, it can be a lot of things to a lot of people like it can be a point of sale system it could be um an ebook reader it could be a, a video viewer it can be a, a game machine it can be a whole ton of things and then for certain people uh, like Mike and some other people who enjoy using it as a mostly productivity device, like that's also cool. And that's something that benefits from having a keyboard attached to it. But I, I just don't, I don't see what is gained by like, just embedded, like, just like saying like, this is a laptop. Like again, my, like my fallback is just that Apple can just make better tightly integrated accessories that still are honest and true to the different types of use cases that the iPad is good at and potentially catering to and better accommodating this one use case. Like, like that's totally valid. It just like, I, I just, uh, yeah. Yeah. iPad is laptop. It, it just, I don't know why I get irrationally just like, Oh, and it's not upset. It's just like it, the, just the idea annoys me. Well, and I guess another aspect to this too is even scenarios like, and I, I'm the furthest thing from a writer, so I, I, I'm a little hesitant to give any sort of opinion on like a writer's workflow, but I'm going to give it a shot anyway, I guess. Because, just because I think it's a good example of what I want to get at with another point around, even if there is something that you can get away with doing on an iPad, it's it's just it's just almost never more efficient or in any way better than doing that same thing on a Mac. So I'm thinking about a situation with a writer where they have a you know a simple text editor open, presumably they have some tabs open in Safari for reference, maybe if they're collaborating on something with people they have a Slack channel open. Like you know, maybe they're copying and pasting things from the reference material in Safari or wherever. Like just just even simple little tasks like that, like copy and paste or switching back and forth just between a limited number of apps, it, it, in my mind is objectively a, a worse experience in iOS as compared to the Mac. It can be done, but it's not in any way better. And in fact, it's, again, I think worse. Yes. The only, uh, 
one one of the ways where I can see saying I'm wrong or that this kind of semi-shared opinion is wrong is that I will totally agree with the point where if you're using an iPad, like the ability to walk around or be mobile with an iPad is is uh, infinitely better than than with a MacBook. Like that, like uh, just because like the the ninety degree angle, like form factor, like that. That's that's not ideal for a lot of things, but it it's kind of that is the trade off that I think that you're talking about and that we kind of struggle with is that when you switch into like I'm going to get things done mode is where that potential advantage falls down because manipulating anything on the device that requires doing two things at once is 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 infuriating uh, anyway um so yeah so apple also has a uh a new ad that they have uh it's it's like a minute long it's probably on youtube um you'll put a link in the in, in the show thing uh where it's 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 like a 10 year old kid who's uh using his ipad all over the place he's got an apple pencil and a smart keyboard with him and he's he's uh he's illustrating things he's building stuff he's doing all types of things and the ad speaks to some of the use cases that the ipad is best at which is which is great and in a, in a lot of ways it is stuff that the ipad is better at than the mac just because of like just like the the you're actually touching the content and stuff like that um but also like it only talks about like and of course it does it only shows the things that it is better at and and at the end of it it's uh the kids saying like is it the mom that says like oh like you using your computer like oh you you take your computer everywhere and the kid says what's a computer is that how it goes yeah i think that's like how it ends right yeah i i get that idea and and here and here's the only other uh potential like pitfall to i think our point of view which is that uh when the next generation grows up like does if if a generation grows up almost exclusively using ipads and maybe at school they're using chromebooks and stuff like what happens if like they don't actually transition to using real computers like does the work adapt or do they eventually just go to like a jobby job and then they're like, oh, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, that's the stuff where I, I don't know. Because I assume most kids now, if they do have, um, like, if, if like you're 8 to, like, 14 or something, and you have access to an iPad versus a computer, you're probably going to use the iPad. I guess I just don't know, like, like I don't think, like, I don't know, does, does, does the work adapt, or do they just have to give in and use a computer? Yeah. Santi Nadella seems to think that uh, it's it, they need a real computer. <laughs> yeah, he does. Uh, yeah, Jason got so mad about that. All right, mm-hmm. good times. Okay, uh, you got anything else, or we'll do some chef specials. Let's let's do some chef specials. Says yeah, chefs is... specials. Man, that's hard to say. Uh, <clears throat> okay, go for it. So mine is a, a follow-up. I, I don't know if it was our last episode or the episode before where I sort of talked about my two-factor authentication near disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the follow-up items from that was to transition over to something other than Google Authenticator. Authy seems to be kind of the universal recommendation. So I did that. I, I, I went with the Authy recommendation. And it's pretty great. Um, much better user interface than Google Authenticator. 
the fact that you can use it across multiple devices is super great. It's, you know, it's awesome being able to access it, not just from your phone, but from an iPad or any other similar device. It's, it's, you know, like we talked about before, it's just kind of one of those things that you just don't really think about a lot and just sort of let it operate in the background. But I mean, I have been using Google Authenticator since I first started using two-factor authentication years ago. And it's it's been it's been really great, you know, upgrading to something that's a little more modern, a little more flexible. Um, so sort of a an under underappreciated, I think, category of software. And yeah, and I would include myself in the category of people who've underappreciated it. But having kind of gone through what I did a couple of weeks ago, I mean, now I've learned to appreciate it. And I think Authy, Authy's pretty great. Indeed, it is. Uh, is it updated for iPhone 10? Just yeah, just as of a few days ago. Oh, cool. Which can I just can I just say shame shame on Google? They they still have not updated Hangouts or Gmail for the iPhone 10. I saw that they upgraded their Docs applications for iPhone 10 uh, like a week or so ago. But I mean, come on, Google. Like, let's come on. Love it. Keep dragging your feet, Google. Uh, Teach these people. Teach these people what? <laughs> uh, with with your ultra premium, with with the budget for an iPhone 10, you should also have a backup iPhone 8 Plus so you can use it there. Oh, stop it! Uh, all right. Um, I have two, and I'm only going to do one. So I'm going to give you the choice of either a podcast recommendation or a game recommendation. Uh, guys, I I don't need a podcast recommendation. <laughs> Give me, give me a game recommendation. Okay. The podcast recommendation is coming next week, no matter what. All right. Okay. And this is one I know, I know I can't force you to, uh, play, to do something. <laughs> no, no, you can't. Um, couldn't make you stick with that TV. Um, let me make sure I have a, so it's, so you should play this. Um, you can probably, where, where's Slack? There we go. Um, you can probably get away with just playing it for a half hour, but I don't think you, uh, mo- I don't think most rational people would stop. They're either going to stop after five seconds or they're going to get stuck for a while. So the game is called uh, Universal Paperclips. And it is, so go ahead and open it up. What does it look like to you? It looks like a box of paperclips. Okay, click on it. <laughs> okay. All right, so now, now I'm brought to, I don't know, some kind of simple little like text, not editor, but like I, I, I like I have like a couple, couple buttons I can press. Mm-hmm. Does this look like it's going to be a fun game? No, it totally is. Okay, so it's a incredibly simple. Uh, game that uh, unfolds in in a variety of different ways is like this is not some like thing that's going to turn into like a like a real game like what you're seeing is basically what what you're going to get um i will send you a picture real quick of how things go um after a while um hopefully slack doesn't crash for once so basically it's it's kind of an economics slash strategy game so I, I ended up uh, quitting after I had manufactured 602 million paperclips um, <laughs> and, and amassed um, uh, $13 billion. But it's, it's, it's a really fun 
game where you can uh, manufacture paperclips. You have to optimize your resources, uh, understand economic markets, uh, use computational resources and things to uh, streamline your business. And I know that sounds super boring, and I know it sounds like it's not fun, but it's really, really fun. So if you're bored at work or, you know, you should, you should, you should block off some time. People should play this for a half hour and to see what happens. And then let me know when you haven't slept for like two days. Cause this is definitely, <laughs> a, this is definitely a game where you, it's not going to like consume all of your attention. It is something that can just live in a browser tab and you're just going to leave it open for your, for a day. And you're just going to kind of just be like, what is even going on right now? It's really good. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I can appreciate a, Kind of a, uh, it's a sort of like a like a brain teaser kind of game. Would you describe it that way? Kind of like I don't like. There's there's no. It's not a puzzle, but th- there's definitely yeah. There, there's it it's it's not like there's definitely not an action game. It's not like it's just it's obviously not an action game. It's, it's just a bunch of Times New Roman texts on a white web page. But yeah, you should play it. Hmm, okay, and I'm I'll consider giving this a try. <laughs> Uh, so send this to a uh, friend of the show, Troy. I, I, he seems like somebody who would. Uh, yeah, he would be. He'd be good at this. Yeah, better than me for sure. Oh, you'll you'll do great. All right. Anything else? Nope. We're uh, we're back on the on the weekly cadence, at least for the the next few weeks here. Um, and then on to twenty eighteen. Literally cannot wait. 